Hello, friends. How is everybody? Good, good. So as I mentioned, we are kicking off a new series. Hopefully that song gets you a little pumped up. I know it does me. It's one of my favorites. It's been on replay for about two months now. Um, but we're going to be talking about emerging. We're going to be talking about what it's going to look like. We're talking about things that we haven't talked about in a really long time, and that's exciting. And not only do we have an opportunity to emerge through that, but to emerge every single day. We have an Easter every single day. How do we emerge as people of God? How do we emerge as people who reflect his love in the world? So we're going to be talking about hope a lot. And so I'm going to spend some time talking about hope. I want to invite you first, though, that if you have not, to turn on the clicker. That would be helpful. To open up your app notes if you would like to follow along. We do have those available for you. But I want to spend some time talking about hope. Over the past few weeks, I have sort of challenged myself to think about this word. I have a friend who really dislikes the word hope. And at first, when he told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, what kind of person are you? But then, I think he kind of gave me a complex. I started to realize that the way the world uses the word hope is very different than how we as Christians use the word hope. So I started paying attention to how I use the word, how others use the word, and I've sort of been boggled. I've found that there's been really two big things. We use the word hope way too much, and most of the time we don't use it in a healthy Christian way. So when you look at Merriam-Webster, hope means to cherish a desire with anticipation or to want something to happen or be true. And this second part, to want something to happen or be true, is really where this word hope that we use a lot falls into. For instance, I really hope UK wins a championship. I really hope UK men's basketball wins a national championship. Is that too soon? Is this still hurting a little bit? We really use hope as a wish, wishful thinking. We just sort of use it for everything. And I know, I do too. I, I realize that about myself. I use it all the time. Well, I sure hope so. Or, you know, somebody will ask me something and I'll be like, oh, I, you know, we can hope that that will happen. Knowing good and well, it ain't going to happen because I'm not going to let it happen. So the reason that I'm on a soapbox about this or I want to spend some time about how we use this word is because our words matter. When we think about Jesus, he was the word and the word made flesh and, and Jesus used beautiful illustrations to teach us how to live this life and he tells us to go and tell. So how we use our words every single day matters. It matters very important because it's how we share the truth of who Jesus is in the gospel. Wendell Berry, who is a world-renowned author and poet in Kentucky folk, he says there are two epidemic illnesses of our time, disintegration of communities and disintegration of language. He says this, my impression is that we have seen for perhaps 150 years a gradual increase in language that is either meaningless or destructive in meaning. And I think hope has been one of those words that's been a casualty of this, of using our words without a lot of thought and without a lot of care. When we use hope as a wish or wishful thinking, and then we turn to use that word hope to describe a portion of our relationship with God, it can make us seem uncertain or unsure or even doubtful. 
it makes God seem as though he's a wishful being out there that we hope is listening to us every now and then and will be there for us when he has time to and we treat him more like a genie than a personal intimate savior who loves us and wants to be in our lives deeply we all know that this use of the word hope and this wishful thinking when we talk about it in Christ is not the case. When we talk about it with Christ, it is something much stronger than a wish. Hope is founded in the truth, the truth that Christ is with us in this very moment. And without him, there is no hope. There is no hope. Now, when Paul was writing to the Gentiles in the letter to the Ephesians, he was talking about this. He was talking to them because they had not been a part of all those promises with Israel. When Jesus came and Jesus died and was resurrected, this whole thing was so new to them. They were finally included. And so Paul writes this, Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. The Gentiles didn't know hope at all because they didn't know Jesus. They didn't even know God was in the world in this way. And when they learned about Jesus, they learned about hope. And we too were without hope until we learned about Jesus. It makes hope our reality, Jesus does. An expectation that something will happen, not maybe. That it is happening right now, not possibly with a slight chance. So now that I've sort of laid that groundwork for hope, let's dig into today's scripture and take a look at a psalm, Psalm 25, 1 through 5. This is such a good psalm. Just these five verses, this whole chapter really is, is a great way to pray if you're struggling with I don't know what to say today. So I want you to hear these words today. I know I usually love for you to say them out loud, but I want you to hear them today. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day long. So I know I've talked a lot about hope, and I'm going to switch gears, and I'm going to talk about hopelessness. Once we experience this feeling of hopelessness, this terrifying, lonely awful feeling of hopelessness, which I'm sure some of us have felt that in the last year in some way over something or someone, something. We have felt this hopelessness. And once we feel it, once we experience that, it has a tendency to stick with us. It sticks with us. We don't forget that feeling. And that feeling, that experience, will shape us in some form, fashion, or way, whether we know that it has, whether we acknowledge that it has, whether we want it to or not, it will. 
And so after we go through that experience or we have this feeling of hopelessness, we may think at some point we've jumped this giant chasm over to hope. And so now we're kind of living there. We're good. Things are good. But probably not. Probably not. And let me explain what I mean. So rocks, as I've got pictured here, any rock, even though they're not living, they are shaped every single day by the elements. So a couple years ago, uh, we took Summit on a vacation. It was before Collins arrived, and we wanted to have a little Summit time before baby came. So we went to the beach, and one day Chris and Summit were out in the water. I don't do the water. I can sit on the beach and look at the water and enjoy that, but I don't like going in. So I'm sitting here, and I've been reading this great book, and I took a moment just to pause and think about something, and I was caught by this rock formation that was going into the water. And I just got obsessed with the waves crashing against the rocks. And I'm like, wow, I'm really in a trance here just staring at it. And then I started asking and wondering questions. Like, I wonder how many times those rocks have to be hit with those waves before they start changing shape. I wonder if I had been here 15, 20 years ago, if those rocks would have looked different. Now, I'm sure that those changes are minute, and I wouldn't have been able to see those to the eye, but I knew something happened to those rocks from hitting, being hit with those waves every single day. I also knew that God was at some point going to use that in a teaching illustration. I didn't know when that would happen, but here we are, friends. You get to be at a, an experience of this with me. So we are shaped by these waves as well. When we go through an experience of hopelessness, we'll think some things like this. These are cues of questions that we ask ourselves or thoughts that we have. Why is this happening? Nobody cares about me. I'm all alone. God is punishing me, whatever it may be. This is not inclusive of all the different things that hopelessness can happen, that can have. But in hopelessness, however it is occurring or however it is present, these thoughts, these beliefs, these feelings will begin to hit us as waves. We'll begin to think them. And we may think them a little more than we actually acknowledge that we are thinking them. But just as those waves, they're hitting over and over again, and they are having a long-term impact on who we are becoming. And of course, it varies from person to person. Some of you out there may be looking at this going, I've never thought any of those things before. Hopefully not. That would be great for you. Maybe you're in denial. That does happen too. Others of you may be going, oh, I do remember that. Maybe you're feeling a little tightness in your chest, or you've got anxiety in your stomach, or you're going, oh, I, I remember feeling this way, and your body remembers that. Others of you may be going, you know what? Everybody's talking about hope right now and doing all this great stuff, but I'm here. I'm feeling something up here. I want you to know that if you are, please reach out to somebody. Reach out to me or Tom or Steven or Betsy, whoever you feel comfortable with. Let's talk about that. Let's explore that a little bit. And go ahead and claim this lie that you are alone because you are not alone. You are never alone. So claim that. Name it, claim it. Boldly, do that. Okay. So what happens is we have different reactions to these thoughts. And what we do with those reactions is we start having thoughts or feelings or beliefs in reaction to those things. And then those thoughts 
those beliefs, those feelings start hitting us as waves. They begin to shape us. These thoughts begin to creep up in reaction to that feeling of hopelessness. Maybe you have experienced this hopelessness and you're never going to feel it again, so you start protecting yourself from it. You start saying, I can totally do this on my own. I don't need any help. I've got this. I'm good. Maybe that's because of pride, control, whatever it may be. Or maybe you have lost all confidence in that situation. And so now you're an arm length away from everyone. You're not speaking up anymore. You're not living boldly. And you're not, you're, you're just passive. You're just passive in everything, just letting things happen. Or maybe we've told ourselves that we deserve what happened. We deserved for that to happen. And so we don't think God is punishing us hard enough for it. Or God, maybe we just lost faith in that whole thing altogether. So we punish ourselves. And so success isn't a thing we can think about. We won't allow ourselves to be happy because if we do, that means we're letting ourselves off the hook. This process is a reaction to hitting rock bottom. And when we think of that term rock bottom, we think of the worst. I've lost everything, my family, my home, my money. I have nothing, my health. But rock bottom can look a lot of different ways. A lot of times these things happen very gradually and will hit rock bottom and come out of it. And we think we're on the other side of hope. We think we're doing just fine. When in reality, we never admitted that that was a hard place for us to be. We've picked ourselves up, we've dusted ourselves off, and we're doing just fine. I'm fine. You know, that's the biggest lie we ever say. <laughs> I mean, we can count the times that we have said it when we really have not been fine. And when people have said it to us and we go, yeah, you're not really fine. Because what that is, is us just pushing down all the stuff or rising above it in denial or telling ourselves these lies and it'll work for a while until we start blowing up. We get angry about the smallest things, at people who have done absolutely nothing wrong to us. Or our anxiety is so great that we can't drive anymore, or we can't function in life, or we're just really stressed out all the time, we're having panic attacks, we can't eat, or we're using harsh words, we're saying things we don't mean, or we're isolating ourselves. We stop going to small group, we stop going to church, we stop listening to sermons, we start reading the Bible, we pull ourselves back. This process, those waves, they can happen over time for a really, really, really long time. And I know we're talking about emerging out of a year of hard stuff, but maybe it's time for us to emerge out of old patterns or experiences that we've had that have shaped us, that it's time to name and claim those. It's time to really take on the hopelessness we've felt and the lies we've told ourselves or the patterns that we have put into place so that we feel okay, to let God come into those places so that those waves can be changed. We are all being shaped by something. What waves are we allowing to shape us? Luckily, there is a way to free ourselves of this cycle. We take a note from the psalmist today when he says, Oh, Lord, to you I lift up my soul. Now this picture is 
really cool, and it's going to go against what I'm about to teach you. But when you think about surrender, you think about giving up, what's the stance? How is your body? Can I get some participation? What do you look like when you give up? <laughs> I surrender, I give up. How are my palms facing? Up, yeah, they're outward, they're up. They're up. This is how we typically think of surrender. I want to talk about this author, Bob Goff, who Erin, you saw in the video announcement, didn't she do a great job? So she taught me about this Bob Goff and told me that I should read his book. One of, one of his books, he's got three, is called Love Does. And so I've been reading that book, and I'm telling you, it has transformed me. I am pumped. It is good stuff. Write him down, look into it if you haven't already, and read it. So he has a whole chapter about the beauty of Palms Up. So Bob Goff is an attorney, and when he prepares his clients to go before um, a trial to do depositions or to do testimonies, he teaches them to do it with palms up. He makes them sit down with palms up. Now, you know I'm a hands-on learner, and I like participation, so guess what I'm going to have you do? I want you to listen to the rest of the sermon with palms up. You're lucky I can't see. That way, if I see any of y'all not doing it, I can call you out, but I wouldn't do that anyway, maybe. But try it. Palms up means that we are open. We're open to listen. We're open to others. It's a beautiful gesture. And when we can get our body engaged in what our mind and our heart needs to do, they'll follow along. They really will. And so Bob Goff says this, palms up means you are strong enough to be vulnerable, even with your enemies, even when you have been tremendously wronged. Jesus was palms up to the end. And at first when I read this, I know it's probably obvious to a lot of you, but I was like, of course he was. He surrendered over and over again. Now think about him on the cross. He was still palms up to the very end showing us that this is how we do this life. We surrender, we submit, we give our lives over to him over and over and over again. Palms up means you are ready to be taught, shaped, and molded. You can't be defensive when your palms are up. He says it makes such a difference because once people become defensive, then their emotions get all in the way of their thoughts and they can't speak clearly and they start lying and you shouldn't lie when you're under oath or in a deposition, but it helps them stay calmer and more honest and stay more accurate. Palms Up helps us stay true to the truth that God is with us in whatever it is that's going on. He's in it with us and he is in control. Hope, unshakable, undeniable, certain hope should be a motivator for us. It's not a complacent thought, a fleeting concept, a wishful desire, or even just a good feeling. Hope definitely isn't something that we just believe. Hope moves us from belief to participation, from simply believing in Jesus to actively living for him. Actively living for him. We turn into yes people for God. Hey, I want you to go over there and talk to that person. Oh, I can't do that because I don't know them and they're very different from me. And, oh no, yes. 
we become yes people. Yes to things that are difficult. Yes to things that are hard or that we don't believe that we're skilled in or we don't have the words to say. Yes to doing whenever it hurts. Yes to giving just a little bit more even though we don't have the money. It, it is yes. That's what hope does for us. And we can do it because we know God has got this. God is telling us to do it. He wants us to push ourselves to the very limit of where we don't think we can go because when we go there, God will do crazy, amazing things for us and for others. Hope keeps us learning and growing and doing for God. Hope also provides us endurance to see God through the other side of the present. Whatever tough thing that we may be going through, whatever episode of hopelessness that we may be feeling, hope not only helps us get to the other side, but it helps us be present to it. So that we, we come out of it, we come out healthy and closer to God instead of farther away from Him. Remember this slide? All these reactions to that episode of hopelessness? These are actually warning signs. These are warning signs. Warning signs that you have believed something or something has shaped you in a way that is not what God wants. And you need God's help in that. When we approach God, palms up, vulnerably, allowing Him to shape us, He will heal us. Healing happens when hope is activated. Hope ha or healing happens when hope is activated. And those lies we tell ourselves, those reactions we've had to hard stuff in our lives, to experiences we've had, to trauma, they become truths. Truths from God. His truth. And those waves will become shapes for us. They will begin to shape us. We begin to lean not on our own understanding, but on God's understanding. Maybe there's one up here that you really need to hear. It just jumped off at the screen for you. And if that's the case, write it down. Don't forget it. Maybe you say it every single day already. But use these affirmations. You can retrain your brain, even though it's very, very difficult to do, you can. You have to be as persistent as those waves are. Every day, just naturally allowing God to take over those thoughts so that we can begin to live empowered lives, driven by God's love, God's mercy, God's hope, and God's grace. There is hope for today. There's always been hope. Ever since that stone was rolled away and that tomb was found empty, there has always been hope. And that is our hope, friends, that Jesus Christ died for us, he arose for us, and that God is in the midst of everything that we are and everything we do, working to make things good. I feel like, especially lately, we have misplaced our hope. We've misplaced our hope. We have a greater, more foundational, strong hope in God. Hope that motivates us to seek His guidance, to seek His ways, not so we can coast through life with an easy button. He never promised us that. But so we can join him in living true life. One where we experience healing and participation greater and more powerful and better than anything we could ever wish for.
Let's pray. God, how wonderful you are that you sent your son to die for us, that you sent us your spirit so that we could always get to you. As soon as we turn our heart to you, as soon as we turn our thoughts, there you are. You are as persistent and patient as those waves crashing against those rocks. And God, we pray that you will take hold of those thoughts that we have that may be holding us back from fully serving you, from fully surrendering our will to your will. God, make us aware of what we need to hand over to you so that you can come into that presence and you can help us heal, knowing that we are not alone in this, that you are there and you have sent people in our lives to help us as well. God, help us to lean on you and to lean on others so that we can become the people of God that you have called us to be. God, we love you and praise you and lift these things to you in Jesus' holy name.